Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and give thanks to you for the, the gospel. We, we thank you, Lord, that it is uh, true and right. And it has not only made us right with you, but with one another as well. And we thank you, God, that these things are not just things that are high and lofty that uh, spur on our worship, God, as we think about uh, you um, coming down to us to provide the way that we might have a relationship with you. But it also affects our everyday relationships as well. And just pray that this morning as we look at marriage and what that means, that you would open our eyes to see, God, the wonderful plan that you have given to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we uh, turn to our text today in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through uh, 33, let me just ask you, uh, what would you say is the purpose of marriage? I don't care whether you've been married for days or decades. That's a, that's a good thing to, to ask and, and to contemplate. Uh, you may have heard of the time that a woman approached Winston Churchill and said, she said to Winston, she said, if you were my husband, I would poison your coffee. To which he replied, woman, if you were my wife, I would drink it. Now, there's debate on whether that interaction actually took place or not. But it does convey the tension and the strife that sometimes exists in marriages because the goal of marriage for so many people is personal satisfaction and happiness. Now, marriage can be a wonderful experience as a man and a woman enjoy intimacy uh, with each other their whole life. But it can also be very difficult and often seem almost impossible to have a good marriage. And I think that's where many in our culture are today. That many have given up on marriage and say that it doesn't work, at least in the traditional sense, as they think about marriage. And so you see all kinds of different fabrications and ways that people seek to have a relationship with one another apart from the way that God has designed. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that it's safe to say that since the century in which uh, Paul lived, and maybe a couple centuries after, uh, that there has never been such a low view of marriage as there is in our culture today. Uh, because in Paul's day, there was an extremely low uh, view of marriage, and, and even of women as well. And you see Paul addressing a lot of those misconceptions in his letters. But, but Paul, instead of moaning and groaning and withdrawing from the surrounding uh, society, uh, instead, he says, this is the very situation in which the transformed lives that the gospel produces should stand out in the culture in which we live so that those who are not Christians would come to those who are Christians and say, what makes a difference in your life? Why do your marriages look different? Why do your relationships look different? And so Paul, you know, has been dealing with this in, in so many ways in his book, to his letter to the Ephesians. He's been talking about the gospel. He's been sharing how the Christian life is so radically different. How to be seized by grace, a, a grace that transforms your life and makes you enthusiastic for holiness and godliness. It makes you thrilled to live in obedience to Jesus and for his glory. And Paul says that the gospel will make a difference 
in the way that uh, believers live their lives. As a matter of fact, there is nothing in the life of a Christian that should be the same as the life of someone who does not know Christ simply for the very reason that we are Christians. So being the recipient of God's lavish grace, as we read about in chapter 1, verse 8, it begins to, to transform the lives of believers. And so more and more, we are men and we are women who, uh, who are being uh, transformed in an old and a dying and a decaying world. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about how we have put off the old man and we have put on the new man. We were part of a, a new humanity. And then he shows how this plays out as, uh, as we live as imitators of God, that we walk or we live in love and in the light and in wisdom, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because we are filled with the Spirit, we live in a different way than those who are intoxicated with the Spirit of the world. And here at the end of, of Paul's letter, he is fleshing out that, that teaching in practical ways in the basic relationships of life. You know, as you think about it, Paul mentions those areas of our lives that most of us give most of our time and most of our energy. That is in marriage and in family relationships and also in our work. And so now Paul is coming to apply these great principles of chapter 4 and 5 to these fundamental areas of life. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we're going to sort of slow down just a little bit. Uh, when it comes to this idea of marriage, because this is so countercultural to the society in which we live, it may or may not be countercultural to you and in, in your households. But as you interact with other people uh, in your lives, I'm sure you're going to have discussions about these things. And so we want to slow down just a little bit today. I'm just going to sort of give it an overview of marriage to sort of go through all of these verses very quickly and just sort of skim the surface. As a matter of fact, you'll probably leave more having more questions than you have answers today and that's okay in one sense that's what i want to do but then next week we'll come back and we'll look at god's call on the life of the wife and and god's call on the husband in the following week as as ben deals with that so i want us this morning to really just look at three things uh, very carefully first of all the gospel pattern of marriage what is god's pattern for marriage and then, uh, second of all, the power, the gospel power for marriage. And then third, the gospel point or the purpose of, of marriage. And so, first of all, let's look at the pattern. The pattern's not complicated. God lays it out very simply. He Actually, you can summarize it in two words. Submission and sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice. In verses 22 through 24, you have the wife's calling to submission. And then in verses 25 through 33, you have the husband's responsibility to sacrifice. And I want to look at each one of those just very briefly today. Like I said, we'll come back and dig into it in more detail next week. But he says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, it's interesting that Paul begins with the women. And, and actually, I would suggest it's more than interesting. It's actually very unusual. Uh, the reason he does that is, is because the theme of this whole section is on submission. In verse 21, we didn't read that this morning. I, I thought later I should have been read that. But it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We, we talked about that last week as far as being a life that we live that's wise. But, but actually, that verse is also tied with these verses 
that we are looking at today and we'll be looking at through chapter 6, verse 9. And you'll notice that in the sections that follow, Paul begins with wives rather than husbands and he begins with children rather than fathers and he begins with bond servants or slaves rather than masters because Paul is particularly interested in how our submission to Jesus and our mutual submission to each other works out in these concrete human relationships. Now, how do we know that uh, chapter 5 verse 21 goes with these sections because there are some Christians who will argue that chapter 5 verse 21 is just really an argument for mutual submission. I just need to submit to you and you just need to submit to me. That's really what that text is about. But I would suggest to you that no, actually it's close, more closely tied with what follows. That verse 21 is actually like a heading where it talks about how we are to submit to one another and then underneath that are different examples or ways that Christians uh, submit to one another within the, the body of Christ. Now, I say that because if you look at verse 22, literally in the Greek it says this, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Actually, the word submit is nowhere to be found in verse 22. Uh, it's actually uh, borrowed from verse 21. So if you look at this, literally it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And this is a common literary device that's used to show the connection of ideas that, that are, are here. And so Paul talks about how wives are to submit to their husbands. And the language that he uses for submission was originally a military term, meaning to put yourself under the authority of another. Now, if I, I'm, I've never been in the military, but I have family members that have, and, and I have many friends that have been in the military, and I know that there are different ranks. And you come in as a private, and you better listen to a colonel, because they outrank you, and uh, you, you need to do what they say. Um, because uh, in the military, if you just think about it, could you imagine what it would be like if everyone just did what they thought was right? You would have nothing but chaos. When, when the war came and the pressure came and the situation was awful, people would just scatter. But because there is discipline, because there is a sense in which soldiers have said, I will put myself under the authority of those that are over me and I will conform to the things that they say, there is order and there is victory in the midst of battle. And so uh, we, we, we come and even as we look at that, we realize that as a person, as a soldier in the military, they have ideas. It's not that they don't have desires or thoughts or goals, but they have chosen to lay those things aside for the greater good. Of, of those that are, are over them and, and the plans that they have. So we need to understand what submission is not because it's very confusing in our culture. Some people think when they think about headship and submission, they think of it as a husband who is the lord of his castle. You know, my home is my castle and, and I am the absolute authority and my wife is to give her total surrender of her will to every whim and wish and desire that I have as the head of the house. And, and sometimes that can be the attitude. But that's not what God says here. I, I've read uh, illustrations of, of husbands who misunderstood what 
that authority look like? And one husband said, yeah, he said, you know, when I come home, sometimes my wife asks me for help. And he goes, I sort of flip a coin in my head and to think, am I going to help her or not? And sometimes the coin comes up and yes, I help her with the things that she might want help with. But sometimes I don't just to show her who's the head of the house and who's in authority. You know, that's that's a misunderstanding of what Paul is is saying here. But we do need to understand that God is not saying that the women are doormat or that they're a pushover or a victim. Women, according to what the Bible, God reveals in the Bible, has been given a certain status and calling. So to be subject to her husband doesn't mean that she is to be a slave of her husband or she is inferior in any way. You, you may have heard me say once or twice or hopefully a whole bunch of times and you'll hear me say this a whole lot more when I refer to my wife is I have married well above myself. In other words, you know, my wife is amazing. You know, she is very talented in many areas that I am not. And so this whole idea of submission does not have to do with a woman's worth or her status. It has to do with her calling. And, and God is calling our wives to place themselves in a position under their husband's authority, his headship and his, his leadership. And so uh, as, as we look at that, we need to understand that, you know, this is something that's actually very common in the culture in which we live. I mean, we could use the illustration with the military, but you also, you men or women that like sports, if you think about it, uh, a football game, there's a lot of submitting that goes on. Those players say, I'm going to do what the coaches say. And there's oftentimes many coaches on a football, uh, uh, in a football league, but there's oftentimes one head coach and he's the one that sort of directs everybody because without that submission, there would be no victory. Or, or think about if you've ever served on a committee and you've been given a task. What's the first thing the committee does? They elect a chairman or a moderator, someone sort of to direct and to lead that. Not because that person is better or of greater value, but it's necessary to, to have that authority. So there is a sense in which wives are called by God uh, to submit. And like I said, we'll unpack that more next week. But also we see that the husbands are called to sacrifice in verses 25 through 33. And if you really focus upon these, uh, uh, these verses, as Ben's going to be laying out for us in a couple of weeks, you'll notice that Paul reserves the real heavy artillery for the men and the husband. And he really brings it to bear. Uh, the, you know, the call to submission certainly can be difficult, but the call to sacrificial leadership is profoundly costly. And it's, it's summed up in verse 25 where, where Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, unfortunately, in just about every church I've been in, not every church, I've not seen that in this church, but in almost every church I've been in, I have seen examples of where men have misunderstood the calling that they had. And their temptation was to focus upon the verses that were written to the wives. And they would say, see, you're supposed to submit. See, I am to be your head. And they use that in a very domineering, controlling way. Well, the problem is, is that they haven't read the whole of what Paul says. And Paul says that 
we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Now, obviously, we know as the church, it can be difficult to submit ourselves to Christ. Can we not? Do you guys ever struggle with obeying the Lord? Well, obviously we do. And sometimes as a church, we wrestle with these things. It involves surrender and self-sacrifice and humility and devotion to God and his glory. And the truth is that wives struggle with these things as well. But regardless of what the wife does... Um, and her ability to submit the husband is called to serve her in love. Now, how did Christ love his bride? Well, the Bible tells us that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and I think about um, the words of John 13, uh, and you can turn there if you want. John 13, verse beginning with verse 3, um, it describes... The scenario this way. John uses these words. He goes, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He's speaking about Jesus. And, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Okay, so in other words, Jesus is the Son of God who has come from heaven. He, he is about to accomplish the purpose or reason for why he has come, and he's going to go back to God. And when he goes back to God, he's going to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, I cannot think of a position of more authority and power than that. So what did Jesus say? It says that he arose from the supper and he said to his disciples, You must do everything I say. I am going to rule over you with an iron fist. No, it says he laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you've got to understand that in biblical days, uh, to wash someone's feet was a very low position. As a matter of fact, many servants would not even do that. It was so beneath them. And I was trying to think of a, a modern day illustration. I'll just be honest with you. I can't think of any. I thought, well, maybe cleaning out sewers or something. But I mean, this was seen as such a lowly position. And yet Jesus knowing that he has all this authority and this power, kneels and washes his disciples' feet. And it says, When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right to do so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Now that's a pattern really for the whole of Christian life, but uh, particularly for the husbands. And Paul presses his home, that attitude of service and humility and, and caring for our wives. Now, if you have gotten any sense of what God's pattern for marriage is, you're probably thinking, oh my word, how am I ever going to do this? There's just no way. I mean, uh, you know, even though God's salvation is great and he has redeemed us, the reality is we still struggle with sin. And if you put two sinners in one house with that close of proximity and living together, you cannot help but have conflict. So how could we ever, 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 ever hope 
to have the ability to live in lives of submission and service to one another. Well, the, the good news is, is that not only uh, has God ordained the obligations, but he has also given the provision through his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, by which you are united to Jesus, is given to you in order that you, your marriages may be one where you are profoundly joined together. I mean, think back to uh, what we read earlier. You know, that we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. That as we uh, uh, read the Word of God, as we meditate upon, as we dwell uh, in the Word of God, the Spirit of God fills us and enables us to live the Christian life. You know, it's interesting. The world says when it gets hard and gets difficult, just walk away. Just walk. You know, you can, you can get out of marriage without fault and without pain, to say, sort of to say. Marriage is at best just an arrangement that you need to, to maintain only as long as it works for you. But that's not what we see in Scripture. We see in Scripture, and we're reminded that there are supplies, hear me, brothers and sisters, there are supplies of supernatural power beyond our meager resources uh, for us to, to, to utilize in our relationships, and particularly in our marriage relationships, not only to enable us to stay together, even through the worst of it all, but to pursue that relationship for the glory of God. And this comes only as we are filled with the Spirit, as the Word of God permeates our hearts and, and our lives. Uh, Paul Tripp, he said, you know, we tend to settle for a relationship that is all about negotiating rights instead of one that loves to give and to serve. But we cannot s submit to our husbands or to serve our wives unless we are in the habit of coming to Jesus and sitting at his feet, being in his word, allowing the mirror of the word of God to shine upon our souls and to show us the condition, the true condition of our hearts. Because what does Romans 12 say? Romans 12 says we have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We don't really think we're so bad. But James tells us, oh no, you need to look at the word of God and not only let that word shine upon you, but don't leave quickly forgetting what you just read. You know, if you look in the mirror and you just walk away, I just open my Bible, I, I read my devotions, I check it off, and I go, okay, I'm good, and I just walk away and forget what I read. What good is that? But he goes, as you look intently into the mirror of the Word of God, and God's Holy Spirit shows you the sinful desires of your heart, how you're seeking to manipulate your spouse, or how you're wanting to use them to fulfill the desires that you have, it humbles you. And you come to God and you ask for his forgiveness and you plead with him, Oh God, give me the power to submit to my husband. God, help me to serve my wife. As you love the church and you have laid down your life for her. And so we not only have the gospel pattern and the gospel power, but we also have the gospel point or the, the, the purpose of of marriage as well. You know, Christ died with a goal in view, did he not? Uh, what was the goal that he had when he gave up himself for his bride? Well, look at verse 27. He did it 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now I'll let Ben unpack this more when he comes to it, but let, let it suffice to say that Jesus died to make his church beautiful and glorious and holy. And that's what we as husbands do. We pursue the holiness of our wives. And, you know, that, that can manifest itself in, in many different ways. It might involve getting up and taking your kids out of the worship service when they're misbehaving so your wife can sit and listen to the preaching of the word. It might be praying with her and for her. It might be having family worship. There's all kinds of different ways. But notice that a gospel-focused marriage will result in the sanctification of both the husband and the wife. You know, here it's mentioned specifically the focus of the wife uh, growing in holiness, but also the husband does as well, as both learn to, to die to self. You know, both are giving up their personal satisfaction for personal uh, sanctification. I mean, if you, you, uh, you think about marriage so often... Uh, people in our society think that the problem is the institution of marriage. And I'm here to tell you, it's not the institution of marriage, but our perception of what the purpose of marriage is. And for most people, the unspoken purpose of marriage is personal satisfaction. I want to get something out of marriage. You know, I get married because she makes me feel good or she's beautiful and I just like to look at her. Or you know what? He's so kind or he's such a good provider. We have all these things that, that happen. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with seeking companionship or, or security or, or even to enjoy intimate sexuality with one another. There's nothing wrong with these things. As a matter of fact, these things are a, the byproduct of a good marriage, but they cannot bear the weight of being the purpose of marriage. When we seek to make marriage to accomplish those things for us, what will happen is, is it will undermine the marital relationship itself. And so we must see that God has given us marriage partly so that it might... Uh, sanctify us. Now, let me just say this, because I know we have a, a fair amount of folks in our congregation who are single. And, uh, you know, as we look at this, I think we need to be challenged to and, and pay careful attention to say, is this the kind of person I am? You know, am I a woman who is a who's a submissive woman? Am I a man who is a loving, serving man is, is sacrificial service and serving others in love and humility part of, of who I am? Let me just say this. If those are not things that are characteristics of your life now as you are single, they're not going to automatically come when you get married. As a matter of fact, what will happen is, is it'll, God will show you more and more that those things are not there. And so I encourage you to, to seek for those things and to ask the Lord to bring about those things and make them a reality in your life. And I know that as human beings, we are creatures of habit in so many ways. And, and I've seen sometimes in those that are single, and I'm not saying this is true of everybody, but sometimes with those that are single, that the longer that they're single, the more that they just get in the habit of just thinking about life from their perspective because that's what they're dealing with their life and how they do their schedules and their work and things like that 
And, and I just think of the beauty that what God has done in taking and putting us all in the church is to remind us that our lives are bigger, whether you're married or you're single, that your lives are bigger than just your own household. That actually God has made you part of the church. And so as such, we learn to submit to one another. We learn to serve one another as well. And so, you know, even as the bride of Christ, the church, uh, we are learning these things in relationship with our Savior. But I also want us, as we uh, come to the end of this passage, is, is that wonder, why, why does Paul stress submission in marriage so much so? I mean, it's, it's true for, for the entire Christian life, but it's... Uh, but why stress it with marriage? Well, because marriage is the closest human relationship known to society. You know, day in and day out in the midst of the friction and all the tension and, and illness and failure and disappointments and grief and sin. and all of these situations, married couples are learning to live together with each other. And even those marriages, you look around the church and you think, man, they, seem, they make it look so easy. I will guarantee you there are tensions and there are strifes. And there are difficulties that, that are even there in those relationships. At times, their marriage may be going well, but, but still, as good as our marriages can get, there can always be struggles. But I want us to see what Paul says in verse 32. He says, this mystery is profound. Okay, now those of you who have been married the longest would probably be uh, very quick to say, Amen, brother! Marriage is truly a mystery. It's amazing to see how uh, two people could live together in such marital bliss in all these years. And it is a blessed mystery. But what an even greater blessing it is to see into the heart of the mystery that he's talking about. And that is the gospel between Christ and his church. Notice he says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know, for our children... In our homes to see the mystery of the gospel dramatized right before them between their mom and their dad. Or for neighbors to see the mystery of the gospel dramatized in our neighborhoods because of our relationship with each other. Or to see the whole of society, to be able to see in the life that we have together as the church and all the differences that there are with our marriages. And by the way, the differences in our marriages are a good thing. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I'll talk to you later about that. But in all these differences, to see a common thread that unites them all, and that is the display of the grace of God in Jesus Christ lived out in our relationships and the love of the church for Jesus Christ that is seen in a Christian marriage you know, have you seen that in your home? Perhaps you have, have grown up in the church and you've begun to hear from your friends as you bring them over. You, you hear them say, wow, your dad speaks differently to your mom than my dad speaks to, to my mom. Or, and, 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 uh, or, and they act differently. Now, that doesn't mean that our homes are without disagreement, like I said. But those disagreements oftentimes result in confession of sin and asking for forgiveness and extending that to one another. And what happens is, is that these unbelieving friends in our homes can see what the real love of Jesus Christ looks like. 
And the explanation for that is the gospel. It's not that we have perfect homes, but it is homes that have been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church. And like Jesus, dad loves mom like Jesus loves the church. And mom reverences dad like the church reverences Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, do we not have something in the church life that is great? Something in our home life that is different than that that's in the world? You know, we've been talking about evangelism and culturing that nurture of evangelism. And part of that is, as we have biblical marriages, as we have marriages where the wife submits to the husband, marriages where the husband serves and loves his wife. Brothers and sisters, let us rejoice in it and let us be all that God has called us to be for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and meditate upon the word that was preached this morning. Oh God, as we come this morning, we just thank you that your gospel is so powerful. Lord, that the work that you do in our hearts is a glorious work. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our, our hearts to reflect these things that, that you have revealed to us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray that as a church body that there would be that spirit of, of gentleness, that spirit of submission to the authorities that you have established. Lord, that the authorities would be one of service and of love and caring and nurturing as we see that you do for your bride. Oh God, I pray that even as we look around in our relationships throughout the week and, and at church, um, as the times that we get together, that they would just be little pictures that would trigger our thinking to remind us of what you have done. And God, may it cause us to worship you, oh Lord, and give thanks to you for the wonderful work that you do. Lord, I want to pray uh, as well, Lord, for maybe those that we know that are struggling in their marriages. God, those that don't understand or, or have this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that in our witness to them, that they may come to hear that you would open their ears and their eyes to hear and to see and to believe that you would change their hearts and their wills. God, to submit to you and gloriously be made new creatures in Christ, that they might experience likewise the joy of what it means uh, to walk with you. We thank you, O oh God, and pray these things in your name. Amen.